Today's reading is from Romans 8, 28 to 39. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. I almost forgot it was me doing stuff now, sitting there nice and happily. Uh, it's really, really lovely to be here. I haven't been up here for a long, long time, so forgive me if I look weird. Um, for those who don't know me, my name's Neil. I've, I've been a long-time member of St. Stephen's here, and my family and I have been overseas in Cambodia for the last three and a half years. Um, Joel asked me to preach today, which is a wonderful privilege. Uh, we're going to be doing an evening about Cambodia later on, uh, well, in the next month, so it'd be great to see as many of you as uh, possible there for that, but today it's just going to be plain old preaching the Word of God, so I hope that's okay with you. Um, it was a really lovely passage, wasn't it? And one thing that was really cool was I think um, I, I picked that passage after the songs were picked, and I think a lot of those songs tie perfectly into the passage that we've got today, so I think that's, uh, that's really, really cool. Uh, let me pray, though, before we start. Our Father God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you for the truths that we find in your word. Uh, please help them to touch deeply into our hearts and convict us and change us where we need to be changed. Uh, help us uh, through what we hear and through your spirit to love you more and to love other people more. Amen. See, I think most people uh, at a certain level are suspicious of God. I think most people are suspicious of God. They think that God is often out to control them or, or change them or, or make them live their lives in a way that they don't really want. And so they often keep God at a distance. Uh, but sometimes I find we as Christians, we can be suspicious of God too. Uh, we can hear his promises to us and we can doubt them in our lives. See, most of society now is moving away from God. We, we know that. We've seen that for a long time. Most of society is moving away from God and looking down on people who follow him. Uh, we can start to listen to that too. And we can start to wonder, do we have it right? Am I deluded? Is there something wrong? Am I really right? And we can start 
to doubt God in our lives. We can look at our situation in life that we're in. We can see our life and the experiences that we're facing around us. And, and we can see that it might not be what we'd like. We could wish it could be different in some way. And, and we can doubt God, his goodness, his love, his control. Uh, we can especially doubt God when we look at the world around us and we see the suffering and the evil and the, the troubles going on in the world. We can experience suffering and trials and evil, and we can doubt God. And especially if the, these go on and on and on in our lives, we can doubt. And in the midst of those trials, we can say, well, where is God when I need him? Or, or if we're continually fighting over a sin, a constant sin in our lives, and feel like we're never getting over it, we can wonder, where are you, God? Why aren't you helping me through this? We can doubt. And we start to doubt that he is with us and that he cares. And in our passage today, that's kind of what Paul is writing about here in our passage to the Romans. He's writing to early Christians who are struggling with their Christian life, but also Christians who will be going through intense persecution. And Paul writes to them to encourage them that no matter what they face in life, that no matter what they go through, and they will go through suffering, Paul knows this, that no matter what they go through, that God is still with them. That's why he's writing, to assure them that God will never leave them. And just like us, no matter what we go through, the trials and suffering and pains in our life, God will always be with us. Uh, see, the passage we heard today, it's, it's the climax kind of of the first half of the book of Romans. It ends the first half on this um, kind of awesome note, an encouraging and assuring note. And in it, Paul, he has a statement, a claim, and he asks certain questions, and then he kind of resolves it with this huge um, thing at the end that nothing will separate them from God. And to do this, like I said, he makes a statement. He says in verse 31, is that all right? How are we going? Lovely, verse 31. He says from verse 31 that God is with us. And then he shows us three ways in which we can know that God is with us. And then in verse 35, he claims that who then shall separate us from the love of God. Now, we're going to quickly look through those things this morning, starting with the statement, is God for us? If God is for us, says Paul. If God is for us, who can be against us? See, as a Christian in society today, there are heaps of things. We know there's heaps of things that can be against us. We know that against us in our Christian walk, uh, which can cause us to, to be anxious, which can cause us to grow weak in our faith or, uh, or even hurt us in our faith. We know there's lots of things. Being a Christian in a society where most people don't believe the gospel can be difficult. Uh, the values and desires of the people around us can clash with what our values and desires are, and this can be difficult. When you're the only Christian, say, in your workplace, uh, the only Christian in your class, the only Christian in your sports team, the only Christian in your family, it can be really, really hard. Christianity today, today is often ridiculed, isn't it? Or looked down upon. You can be seen as odd or judgmental or looking to spoil people's fun. And also the world's got so many temptations around us that, that we want to be drawn towards, or that we find ourselves being drawn towards that threaten to pull us away from following God. We want to enjoy life more, supposedly. Like wanting to party, wanting to earn money, wanting to get success, wanting to be liked, 
all these things pull at us. Living for God and resisting a lot of these things is very, very difficult. There are many things that are against us as a Christian today. And if Paul had just said, well, who can be against us? We would just list off thing after thing after thing. This is against me. This is against me. This is against me. But first he says, if God is for us. And that's a huge claim to make. If God is for us, that changes everything. So if the creator of the world, the creator of the universe is for us, then ultimately nothing can stand against us. Nothing. So I have to ask first, is God for you? Because that's the claim here. If God is for you, who can be against you? But is God for you? Because God is not for everybody. It's common nowadays to believe that God is for everyone, that he's a nice kind of happy guy who's for everyone, and that no matter what you believe or how you behave, you'll end up in heaven. That God's just a kindly old man in heaven who lets people in. Many people don't want God in their lives. And those people can't expect God to be for them. See, this promise, the promises that we've read this morning are for those who are with God, who believe in God, who live for God, and try to obey him in life. It's for those people that Paul ultimately says that nothing can be against you, because God is for you. Now, it's, it's easy to say that, isn't it? It's easy to say God is for me, but how do we know? It's not just a statement that Paul throws out there and leaves empty. He gives us three ways that we know that God is for us. And these three ways are such an encouragement. We've sung about them in our songs today. Um, how do we know that God is for us? Well, Paul gives three reasons. I'm going to quickly go through those three reasons that God is for us, that we can know that with surety. Uh, so the first reason. Firstly, his son died for you. Verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. See, I first became a Christian when I was about 19-ish. Um, and one of the big factors for me was, was looking at myself and my sinfulness and being overwhelmed that Christ would die for me. And the longer I'm a Christian now, I'm a bit older than 19 now, I think I'm close to 30, but the older I get, the longer I live my life and the longer I look at myself, I'm amazed that God would die for me, that Jesus would die for me. See, I've got two sons and I wouldn't give either of them up for anyone. And it's not like he gave his son to die for good people or even okay people. See, we, we tend to think they were decent people, that were okay people, but the Bible is very clear that we've turned away from God, that everyone has turned away from God. Romans chapter 3 says no one is good. Everyone has turned away from God. All have walked away from God and turned their backs on their creator. And so Jesus, he gave his life not for good people, but for people who didn't want God, for people who rejected God, who turned away from God, who didn't want to follow God. Look at the world around us. People don't care for God. They don't want God. Would you give your life for people like that? Would you give the life of your son for people like that who didn't want you? See, I wouldn't. And so why did he do it? Well, we know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. 
See, that's the reason why God gave his son, because he loves us. And I, I hope you know that. He didn't have to, but he gave up his son. Uh, so that's the first way. That's the first way that God shows us that he is for you, that he's committed to you, that he's on your side. He gave his son for you. You can't be more committed than that, can you? Uh, secondly, in Christ, God justifies you. In Christ, God justified you. In verse 33, it says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Because it is God who justifies. And Paul talked about this earlier in Romans. He talked that when you're a Christian, that God has justified you. Because before you became a Christian, you were guilty. You were guilty. You didn't follow God's law. Remember, Jesus summed it up. What's the greatest commandment? What another is like this? Love the Lord your God. To love and live for God and to love and serve others. That's the law summed up. And we have all broken those things, and we continue to break them all the time, daily. We're guilty before God, and we don't deserve to be with God forever. And that's the charge against every human being. That's what everyone is guilty of. But remember the gospel. The gospel message says that we have failed, and we can't keep those commands. But Jesus did. He loved God he loved people fully. And when we trust in Jesus, his righteousness is seen to us. His righteousness is now on us. We become not guilty. We are justified. See, God has declared us justified, and nothing can ever change that. Nothing can ever change that. No charge can be brought against you now. Nothing and no one can bring a charge against you that will ever separate you from God. And the reason why it's so important for us to be reminded of and why it's so important for us to, to remember that is that Christians do get charges brought against them in their Christian walk. It might not be legal charges, it could be, but most likely not. But we're accused of so many things, remember. We're accused of being narrow-minded, of being hypocrites, of being judgmental, of being unloving. People who can't cope with life and needing something to prop us up. These accusations are thrown at Christians all the time. Someone who's thrown away their brain and ignoring science. Or you might be considered arrogant, that you think you know the only way. How can you say you've got the only truth? These are charges brought against you as a Christian. They can be hard to take. We don't want to be seen as that. We don't want to be seen as unloving and judgmental, all those things. They're hurtful and they can drag you down in your faith. But it's not just from others, and this is much more common. I find that Christians are often bringing charges against themselves. We often see our failures as a Christian. I went to a prayer meeting just the week just been for Latimer Church, and I was interviewed, interviewed there briefly. And they said, what have been some of the joys and disappointments over your time in Cambodia? And my natural response is to disappointments is to say that I'm disappointed in myself. See, I always I want to be a better father, but I fail. I want to be a better husband, but I fail. I want to love other people more, but I fail. I want to pray more, to read the Bible more, um, to be more like Christ, but I fail all the time. And we go through times of doubt and failure, and we can wonder if we're really Christian at all. We bring charges against ourselves. We compare ourselves to other perfect Christians that we see all around us. 
and we think that we're failures. We can look at the, the highlight reels of people's lives on Facebook and Instagram and social media and compare them to our behind-the-scenes lives that we know very well. And we feel like we're failing in our Christian walk. And when you're going through your own struggles and failures and weaknesses and facing your own battles, and when again, when it's been going on and on and on, it can weigh you down. And you can ask yourself, well, how can I be a Christian? But Paul says, who will bring any charge against you? It is God who justifies. It's not society who justifies you. It's not others who justify you. It's not yourself who justifies you. It's God. And if it's God who justifies you, there's nobody who can bring any charge against you. No one. Uh, So that's the second thing. And then uh, the third way uh, that we know that God is for you is that in Christ you are no longer condemned. In Christ you're no longer condemned. Paul asks the question in verse 34. He says, who then is the one who condemns? See, condemned condemned means that you are guilty. Now, it's true that uh, guilt can be a good thing. I think for Christians, guilty conscience can drive us towards God and drive us to, to seek Jesus and find forgiveness. And for a Christian, guilt can be healthy. Guilt can be really, really good. But wrongly felt guilt can cripple us. Wrongly felt guilt can cripple Christians. They can look at their lives and they can feel so deeply their guilt and feel that God is disgusted at them that they stop coming along to church. They stop hanging out with other Christians. They stop praying. They stop reading their Bible. Their guilt drives them away from God. And and that's terrible. Friends, if you've ever felt like that, please keep coming to church. Please seeing Christians. Don't let your guilt drive you away from God. Guilt should drive us towards God and the love we find in Jesus. If you believe in Christ, God never condemns you. He can't condemn you because he's justified you already. You're seen as not guilty before God. The world might condemn you again. You might condemn yourself, but God doesn't. And ultimately, that's all what matters in the end, isn't it? Ultimately, it's God alone who has that power to condemn you. And Paul says, who is it that condemns? If you're in Christ, there's no one, no one who can condemn you. And so Paul, he's given us these three things, and he ends with one last question for us in verse 35. He says then, because of all this, who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? And Paul finishes with this because he knows that so many Christians will hear what he's been saying and go, yeah, well, that's good for you. You've done all this. You've saved me. You've, You've given your son for me. You've justified me. You don't condemn me. God's done all these things for me. But what about when I fail as a Christian? What happens when I fail? What if when I suffer or go through trials and struggles, what if I fail to trust God? What happens then? And that was a reality for the Christians that Paul was writing to in Rome. Paul knew what hardships they were under and what persecutions they were about to face. And he personally knew the trials and struggles of a Christian. And he definitely knew how weak we can all be because he knew how weak he can be. And it's the same question we ask during our pain and suffering too. Can God still love me if I'm going through this? 
Does God still love me when I'm doubting at every turn and when I don't trust him? Does God still love me when my life feels like it's just a stream of failures rather than successes? And it's because of this that Paul says, well, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Well, these things, and when we fail in these things, separate us from the love of God? Well, Paul says, no, no, they don't. And notice what he doesn't say, though, too. He, he doesn't say, shall anything weaken or separate your love for Christ? Because I know my love for Christ is so often weak. You know, and if it depended on me, I would give up. I wouldn't keep on loving him, even without suffering. It's, it's difficult to love and to follow Jesus and to keep my love warm, even in nice and simple and easy times. My love, my faith is so often weak. It's up and down depending on where I am. But his love for me is different. He died for me, and he'll never separate himself from me. He will never stop loving me. It doesn't matter what I go through, or how much I fail, or let him down, he will never, ever leave me. And wonderfully, Paul says he's convinced of this. It's not just a, a pipe dream, it's not just a random hope. He's convinced of this himself through his conversion, through his suffering, through his pain. And he's convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither heights nor depth, nor anything, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you convinced of this? I hope you are. Are you convinced of this too? Do you think that if anything you've done from your past, do you think that anything you've done specifically can separate you from Jesus now or, or forever? Or something that you're struggling with now even? Paul says neither death nor life, nothing in this life will separate you. Do you think there's something you've done that can separate you? Nothing. Do you look at the temptations in this world and when you suffer and look at your failures and struggles and you doubt God, do you think he'll ever let you go? No, he won't. Are you convinced that he'll keep you? And what about when you face death? We all die. Some people fear death. Or they treat it like a gamble, like I, I really hope. No, if you're in Christ, there's no need to fear. There's no need to worry. Nothing, not even death, can separate you from Christ. Nothing can. Paul says in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Life is painful. Life is hard. We know that whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, life is painful at times. But you can face it with confidence. See, friends, as a Christian, there's no need to be suspicious of God. You can trust in God completely. Look at what he's done. Whatever you're going through in life now, the trials you're facing, your difficulties, your temptations, your struggles, your sufferings, and you wonder where God is and, and whether he's left you. Well, he's never left you. 
Friends, Paul is absolutely convinced. He's convinced, and I, I pray that you are too, that nobody, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, let me pray as we finish. Father God, what wonderful words we hear in your word and the book of Romans. What wonderful assurances we have. And it's not just a vain assurance. It's we have a solid and firm hope in what you have done for us. Thank you that you are with us always, even when it doesn't feel like it. Even when we fail you again and again. Thank you that your love for us is so much stronger than our love for you. Uh, Father, please fill us with confidence and assurity in this. Uh, help it to, to help us press on during our trials and our struggles in life. Uh, help our love for you to be seen by other people too, so that they can come to know you and know the forgiveness and the love and the grace that we can find in you. Amen.